You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everybody. I am starting us off this week. And today I am going to be talking about an organism that is a return to a favorite topic for this show. It's a parasite. Of course. Wow, yes. I was was literally just thinking today. We haven't had a good parasite in a while, so thank you so much. This is a very interesting and unusual one. Uh, It's one that has had a serious impact on human lives and and history uh, in both positive and negative ways. And, you know, when I say parasite, you're probably thinking of something like a tapeworm. Or uh, if you're a regular listener to this show, you might remember (laughs) the golden digger wasp, summit disease, Mm -hmm. and various other strange and disturbing creatures that we've talked about. But, uh, you know, as in summit disease, today's parasite is a fungus, but its target, Mm. its target is not an animal, but a plant. It's hosted by a plant. And yet people are profoundly affected by this parasite as well. There are somewhat obscure references to the effects of this fungus throughout antiquity, but the earliest reference that is for sure believed to refer to it is from a document from the year 857 uh, from what is now Germany. So, quote, a great plague of swollen blisters consumed the people by a loathsome rot so that their limbs were loosened and fell off before death. Oh, what? Dramatic, disturbing, That's dramatic. horrible. Wow. Did, Their limbs an image fall for you. off? Yeah. Any guesses uh, as to what I'm talking about? No. It, it took a 180 from where I thought you were going. Um, yeah. When limbs started falling off. Uh, and it's a fungal yeah. related thing. I'm guessing people are probably somehow getting the fungus on something and eating it and then... Uh, that's affecting them in yeah. some some way. I would help, but my brain is still picturing just <laughs> what you said, like big like blisters, and then all of a sudden their limbs just fall. Like that's where my brain Wait is. Wait a minute. Yeah, you you are doing what I thought you're doing in the first place. I think. Okay. Did he really? Did he really see this? I don't Nothing. know what what. What do you think it is? Let me tell you what I'm talking about, and we'll see if we're talking yeah. about the same thing. I am okay. talking about ergot. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was going to say. Okay. I've never heard of this. <laughs> yeah, so ergot, uh, Latin name is Claviceps purpurea. Uh, it affects Purple. Uh, some cereal grasses as well as wild grasses. Mm-hmm. Wheat okay. and barley can be affected, but rye oh. is the most susceptible to this fungus. Oh, it's starting to and ring a bell now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it has a fascinating life history. So a fungal spore has to infect the ovary of the flower of the grass. Hmm. And it actually mimics the way a pollen grain would fertilize the flower. Okay. So the the spore will germinate and it actually colonizes the ovary and hijacks the plant's mechanism that's intended to feed the growing seed. 
uh, and it uses that to produce a sugary, it's called honeydew. Um, so it's a sweet liquid and it contains asexual spores of the fungus and the honeydew will obviously attract insects to the plant which feed on the honeydew and then they pick up the spores and carry it to other plants so after a while the honeydew production will stop and then the remaining uh, fungal body will harden and darken into the ergot it's also called the sclerotium and it's there on the plant in in place of the grain of rye that it replaced and it looks you know approximately the same size and shape as a grain of rye, but it's a darker Mm -hmm. color. It's, it's kind of blackish or purplish. Um, so you can imagine how easy it is for infected plants to have the, or get mixed in with the actual grains. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for people, uh, and animals, the ergot contains a stew of highly toxic alkaloid chemicals. Um, and people who consume foods that are contaminated, will suffer from what's called ergotism. And it takes two main forms. Okay. So the one probably maybe that you were thinking of is convulsive ergotism. So victims will have muscle spasms and seizures, uh, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, headaches, uh, mania, and hallucinations, Mm. uh, with a mortality rate untreated of uh, 10 to 20%. So that's great. That's not good. Not great. So even mm. even more fun, there's gangrenous ergotism, which is what was referred uh, to in my earlier uh, quote. Yeah, yeah, gangrene so is no fun. The the compounds work to restrict the blood vessels in the body's extremities, mm-hmm. and mm. the skin will peel. There's loss of sensation. There's swelling, uh, and eventually, like literally, the Fingers, toes, and sometimes even limbs will turn gangrenous and, and fall off, although without mm-hmm. pain. They'll just, like, separate from the body and boop. Oh, that is horrifying. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. It's awful. It um, just falls epi- off? Does it bleed? Uh, no. Not really. Cause, cause it sort of withers and... The blood yeah, vessels are already all and... gone by that point. Oh, horrifying. Yeah. Not great. Um, and there were epidemics of ergotism that happened throughout history, especially in Northern and Eastern Europe, where rye was the major cereal crop. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the link of the disease with the ergot fungus only kind of gradually became clear, but it was well accepted by 1800. Uh, in the Middle Ages, there was even an order of monks called the Order of St. Anthony, whose specialty was hospitals that were dedicated to helping victims of ergotism and caring for their stumps. Um, and the disease was also actually known as St. Anthony's fire because, uh, St. Anthony Mm -hmm. of Padua had died of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's horrible. Yeah. Ergotism has actually been proposed as a contributing factor to various historical events, including the French revolution. Makes sense. And there is some fascinating speculation that many of the accusations of witchcraft and witch trials, including in Salem, that's where I've poisoning. heard this before. Yes. Yeah. The convulsive type of ergot mm-hmm. poisoning. And it, the convulsive versus gagriness was apparently regional, and they're not exactly sure why. But uh, I want to talk a little more about the, the chemicals. So the really interesting thing is that it's obviously toxic, <laughs> but mm-hmm. toxic substances often have the highest potential as drugs. You know, there's the, the saying, the dose makes the poison. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the case of Rocket, it had one extremely useful quality in addition to obvious problems. So it was used to produce uterine contractions. And it was in use as an abortion drug, um, as well as controlling excessive periods and helping deliver the placenta after childbirth for oh. centuries. Okay. And it would also, yeah, it would also stop lactation. That's good. But, oh. you know, like, it's hard to get the dose right. So yeah. there were some problems with, with using ergot in that way. But it was very widely used, especially in, like, the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Understandably, when analytic chemistry became more sophisticated starting in the 20th century, there was a lot of interest in kind of untangling all these compounds in ergot and seeing what use could be made of them. And uh, there are actually at least a dozen medically active compounds that can be derived from it. Ergometrin wow. is, yeah, it's the derivative that it's the one compound that causes the uterine contractions. And that was first isolated in 1932 and continues to be an extremely important medication in childbirth. Mm-hmm. There are other compounds that are used to treat conditions as diverse as migraine and Parkinson's disease. But hmm. the most notorious derivative of ergot has got to be LSD. Ah, and yes, you know, <laughs> got this it. is what I was getting at when the beginning you described these horrible things happening, and I was like, did he actually see it? Or, like, was he having a hallucination? No, no he actually saw okay. it. I, I, thought, yeah. I thought that's where you, you were going with this whole that's thing. What, so, that's yeah. what you were talking about, yeah. So yeah, LSD... This is, the, uh, this is the fungus I thought, I thought you were talking about. Yeah. LSD is a synthetic derivative of lysergic acid, which is a compound that can be do, produced from ergot. So it's like a couple generations out from an actual compound in ergot, but it is made from it or used to be originally oh. was. And it was first synthesized in 1938. There's a whole mm. fascinating history of the use of LSD, which I would love to get into, but I'm already going pretty long here, I think. Uh, so maybe another time. Um, mm. But luckily for us, rye is heavily monitored these days. And so ergot is practically non-existent in developed countries. Um, although outbreaks yeah. still occasionally occur in underdeveloped countries, but you can eat your rye bread without any fear. That's, that's <laughs> good. I would like to keep my limbs. Yeah. What an image. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. that's what I have this week. The limbs falling yeah. off. Is it not? Yeah. I just, I can't get over that. That. Yeah. That's <sighs> awful. Oh, man, um, yeah. We're going to have a little break to recover from those images. And thank you. No, I have to go then. Yeah. And it'll be Kirk's turn. Pull myself together after that. Oh. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. Well, 
Welcome back. Uh, as sometimes happens when winter drags on and never seems to want to leave the Northland, uh-huh. my wife asks the inevitable question, why do we live here? As someone <laughs> and, who moved even further north and there's still yeah, you went further north. like two feet of snow on the ground. Uh-huh. Why? 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, look, it's, it's a fair question. It's cold in the winter, hot and humid in the summer. Uh, we have tornadoes, mosquitoes the size of bison. Uh, you get the picture. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but I always feel like, look, every place has a downside, right? Right. But this year, my, my wife, who enjoys passing the time by looking at, like, architecture and houses via sales listings, right. started, like, d- dreaming and sending me, like, Zillow postings for cool houses in warm places. And uh, the first one was literally in the high desert. No. So you could, I think, see where her mind was on a, uh, a cold winter day. And uh, I was looking at it mm-hmm. and I thought it looked cool, but like, I felt like you'd be likely to burst into flames within minutes. Well, yeah. Yeah. In the summertime. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, not, not going to happen. And it turns out I spectacularly missed the point uh, of her cold weather dreaming. And I proceeded to effectively point out every flaw. Uh, with living in this new location. And it probably wasn't my sh- my shiniest moment, but I think it motivated her to like change her search parameters and take on the challenge of finding a house in a location that met all of my magical criteria for a perfect place. Okay. Uh, and it, it turns out she found a pretty idyllic town in Northern California that we had actually visited before mm. that pretty much checked all the boxes, you know? She even found an amazing looking house for sale and I admitted that she had, had won our game and found what seemed to be a pretty amazing place to live. Mm-hmm. And before you get too excited, though, uh, the house is over a million dollars <laughs> and we aren't moving anytime soon. Uh, fun, uh-huh. fun exercise, though. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it got me thinking about um, the different sort of challenges people face depending on where they live. So I was trying to figure out the downside of this little town. And I couldn't think of much at first, but I did come up with one little tiny inconvenience wildfires they get no they get earthquakes yeah i I was thinking in like earthquakes right (laughs) probably wildfires too but that's for a different episode here Uh now uh, i live in one of the most geologically stable places on earth so earthquakes are not part of my life i looked it up though and this small town has had close to forty thousand earthquakes recorded (laughs) no since since the 1930s when they started a model no uh so that's a lot. Yeah. Right? Tornadoes um, you can see coming. Uh, yeah, but in all fairness, most of those are so small that you would not even feel them, right? I don't care. So I did find a cool <laughs> website where, where you can enter any location, and then it gives you the odds of different magnitudes of earthquakes for that location. Mm-hmm. And the town in question has a 90% chance of a 5.0 or greater earthquake in the next 50 <laughs> years. No. And it lists the odds of even bigger quakes, although, of course, the odds diminish as you go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scale is logarithmic, so like a, a six earthquake which would be very destruct- uh, and destructive, um, and 10 times the power of a five, had a 58% chance in the next 50 years. Okay. Uh, so six and up is where you start to get like major building damage. <coughs> so, you know, uh, not great. Okay. And uh, now not living in earthquake country got me wondering, how, how big can earthquakes get? Right. Right. And like, What's the biggest ever? Wasn't it What's like limit 9.2 or something? I, I, somewhere in there. Well, we're about to find out. Oh, uh, I mean, not personally. I'm just going to tell you. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Like, I, I was wondering, though, like, have we ever gotten to 10? You know? But, I hope so not. We have two candidates. 
we have two candidates for kind of the biggest ever. And the first up is the uh, Valdivia quake uh, in 1960 in uh, Chile. Yeah. And it came in at a magnitude 9.5. Ah. 9.5. Uh, uh. 9.5. Uh, and this was a mega thrust event just off the coast of southern Chile. And because the quake was underwater uh, off the coast, uh, most of the damage done came in the form of a tsunami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, so like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I visited uh, Hawaii when I was a kid, and I remember mm-hmm. hearing about the tsunami in Hilo, which I think was from that quake in 1960. Oh, okay. There you go, yeah. Um, so, like any kind of natural disaster, uh, the numbers of fatalities are challenging to pin down, mm-hmm. but be- between the quake and the tsunami, somewhere between 490 and 5,700 people died in Chile alone, uh. and Arguably worse than those who died were the, n- the number of people who left homeless just because of the sheer numbers. Yeah. Uh, the Chilean government estimated 2 million people lost their homes. Wow. That's insane. Uh, and the damage, uh, the, what I could find, cost $550 million. But I believe those were like the numbers of the cost back in 1960. So I did a little math and figured that that would be $5 billion today. Right. Oh, my God. God. in damage just to that one country yeah. so the tsunami traveled across the world in hawaii mm-hmm. like you mentioned the tsunami caused 61 deaths and 43 injuries and did uh 23.5 million dollars in damage just in hawaii oh my gosh. on the west coast of the u.s there was actually two deaths and a million dollars in damage and it's not even really where it it hit the worst yeah. a a day later the tsunami had traveled across the ocean and then it hit Japan where there were 139 deaths and it destroyed 3000 houses. Wow. So That's nuts. It, it's, That's a we're talking about something just planet. Exactly. So enormous. There were waves 10 meters high in New Zealand and Hawaii. <sighs> so this was a global event. It had what's called the highest run up, meaning how high above sea level the water reached and that was in chile and that was 25 meters (laughs) so that's that's 82 feet so if you were in an 80 foot building on the coast it could conceivably have been underwater that's That's not which inconceivable yeah it it it, it, and then you think how far up the not up the coast but you know in inland Mm -hmm. that water would travel Uh, it all depends on how quickly the elevation goes up but yeah but just just astounding now I did say that there were two candidates, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Uh, there were a number of articles that came out actually last month on this very topic. And I think they all said that scientists have discovered the largest earthquake and tsunami ever. And uh, archaeologists working around the world found evidence of a huge tsunami 3,800 years ago. Mm. There were boulders washed far inland in New Zealand. And there was a uh, corresponding evidence in Chile of a massive tsunami that caused people living there to abandon the coastline for a thousand years. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah, which is crazy. Uh, researchers think that it was also a megathrust quake a little further to, uh, to, the, uh, to the north. And they put the estimate at magnitude 9.5. Wow. So in other words, it was right on par with the 1960s quake. And I'm not sure why, but so many media outlets repeated this idea that it was the biggest ever mm-hmm. and a number of the articles i looked at actually referenced a live science article with the headline scientists find evidence for biggest earthquake in human history so it could be that live science um 
was like kind of the first ones to put this out there and make that claim. Mm-hmm. And then it was just repeated again and again by other um, like sources and media outlets. And they started sort of quoting each other. Like I saw some of them were like, according to live science. Mm. And it was like, they weren't looking actually like the history to figure out, was it the biggest? And like, yeah, they were citing evidence of like, oh, but the waves reached New Zealand. And you're like, yeah, the waves in 1960 reached Japan. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, um, it's just kind of like, oh, come on, you guys. Do your research. Be better journalists. Yeah. So according to the USGS, um, 9.5 is pretty much the biggest quake possible. Huh. We can't ever have a 10. And it's because the strength of an earthquake corresponds to how much of a fault line moves. And the 1960 mega quake and the one from 3,800 years ago both involved about 1,000 kilometers of fault all thrusting at one time. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, yeah, no. so that's a that's massive, so massive, you know, bit of land moving. And I guess apparently due to how fault lines, the way they are, basically Mm -hmm. um scientists see this as like the longest break that could occur Mm -hmm. so we luckily will probably never see a 10.0 earthquake just because there's not a piece of land big enough that can thrust all at once to cause it that's good so yeah that's i like that so my sources this week were the u.s geological survey uh, and if you want to know more about newly dis- uh, the newly discovered 9.5 quake and tsunami from 3,800 years ago, I'd recommend the original journal article, which is called Did a 3,800-Year-Old uh, 9.5 Earthquake Trigger Major Social Disruption in the Atacama Desert? And that was in the journal Science Advances. Right. And I guess uh, Zillow is also a source this week. <laughs> well, thanks, Kirk. Earthquakes already freaked me out. Now they will remain so. Up next will be Rachel. And we can't wait to hear what she has to say. It's a mystery. All right, everybody. So I'm pretty sure I referenced referenced this earlier in your segment, Kirk, that I moved even further north. to you did some yeah. pretty interesting to a pretty interesting spot, and I'm not gonna say exactly where or anything, but north thought, of Duluth, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, south of the North Pole, yes. Uh, but I was thinking about it, and there's a really interesting phenomenon that happens up here. And since this is episode 66, I thought it would be fun to do something a little bit devilish. And um, <laughs> talk about something that has actually stumped... Two thirds. Two thirds, yeah. yeah. Uh, something that stumped like that. people for generations. And I wanted to talk about the mystery that was Devil's Kettle Falls in northern Minnesota. Oh, yes. Oh, awesome. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Devil's Kettle is a series of waterfall that is in Judge C.R. Magny State Park. The reason why um, I want to talk about this and why it's called Devil's Kettle is um, so this uh, river, uh, actually, it's, it's the Brule River. And um, what, happen, what happens is it goes over these rocks. Now, in northern Minnesota... Um, we haven't really talked about it, but Minnesota has really interesting geology, um, which I'm not going to get into too much today. But uh, northern Minnesota, especially, actually has a lot of uh, is sitting on 
in very, 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 very ancient, no longer active uh, yeah. volcano um, because there is lots of volcanic rock up here in northern Minnesota. Um, it actually yep. makes for really interesting, like, that's why there, it's so mountainous and such up here, one of the many reasons why it's mountainous. Um, there's about maybe an inch of topsoil or so. There's not much topsoil <laughs> up here. And then right underneath that is all bedrock and granite. Um, it is all uh, volcanic-type rock, um, which makes it really hard to grow anything up here. Um, but it is, and I, I mentioned this for a distinct reason, um, and it's because this waterfall is going over that granite and it splits into two, uh, and one side, the east side of the river, uh, plummets 50 feet into just a normal pool and going down into the river with everything else. And the other side, uh, goes into a hole in the rock and seemingly vanishes. It disappears. Because yep. it, it's a hole in like the rock itself, and then the rest of the waterfall goes on waterfall goes on. No idea where it would be. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big waterfall, and you feel yeah. like that water's gotta come out somewhere. Yeah, it has it's to. like it's like two giant side by side waterfalls. Mm -hmm. And and one of them just vanishes. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, it must be like uh, seeping its way through and getting to Lake Superior that way or something. It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no, um, there's no... It's a lot of water. It's a lot of water. There's no, uh, ry it's rhyolite. There's no lava tubes or anything like that underneath the riverbed. Um, so the, it, it wouldn't seep through or anything like that. So a lot of people... We're, have been trying to figure out what, where all this water goes. So what they would do, a lot of people have done over many generations, they will toss like a stick or ping pong balls. Uh, one man actually like went down into the tube like 26 feet. Oh, wow. Like repelled no. in. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> that uh, um, uh, wow, that seems like a really bad idea. It was not a smart. Hopefully not when it's raining. Oh. Um, and he repelled in and he didn't see anything. Like it just Shot vanished. Her. And he couldn't even see the bottom or anything like that, which is crazy. Um, yeah, he repelled 26 feet down and couldn't see the bottom. I wouldn't do that. You couldn't, you couldn't make me. And you feel like if you were 26 feet down in there and there was a bottom nearby the water would be hitting it and splashing back up at you like yeah that volume of water it, it has to go somewhere yeah. and it's not like a like little trickle either like this is a pouring waterfall this is a true waterfall um so people have been trying to figure out what what it could be i, I guess people have even thrown uh, like road signs in there to see if it comes out some <laughs> oh, other geez. way um, just to see maybe oh, like they they'll, have. they'll go to like Lake Superior or whatever and they'll see if they can find it out there. And like, okay, first of all, Lake Superior isn't <laughs> going to give up any secrets. If um, I were going to choose something to true. throw down the hole to try to trace the flow of the water, it wouldn't be a road sign. Yeah. Uh, they've like, done GPS trackers too, to there know There may have been some beer involved in that one. Yeah. Um, however, and wait, they tried what, to, they did what to no avail? 
GPS trackers. That they makes more GPS. sense. Yeah, it does. But they toss oh, GPS oh, the, oh, trackers the, in there too. The public has done that or scientists? The public. Okay. I, th- I was hoping scientists would know that they have to be able to see the sky to work. <laughs> yeah, that's why they didn't. And it's volcanic rock. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. Okay. So, Just clarifying there. Um, but in 20... When, when are we getting to like the, the serious scientists? Right? Absolutely. Uh, so in... So there's been a lot of different like thoughts and reasons or what on earth could be happening. So in 2017, the DNR, so the Department of Natural Resources, actually, um, it was the hydrolo- mapping hydrologist Jeff Green um, decided, well, maybe instead of it just disappearing through some sort of hidden channel or whatever, maybe it just resurfaces downstream later. Like it rejoins the Brule River. Um, So what they decided to do um, was to measure the volume of the water that was flowing above Mm -hmm. Devil's Kettle um, using like stream equipment um, and measure that volume. um, And... That was, uh, it was 20 or 123 cubic feet per second. That's how much water was going into Devil's Kettle. And then um, they went further downstream, like several hundred feet below uh, the waterfall, uh, where like the rest of it kind of just connects up and everything. They measured the water um, down at that end, and that was flowing at about 100 and 21 cubic feet per second. Um, And before people point out, well, it's missing. Evaporation happens. Water goes out of the river, too, and, like, we can get caught into little pools and such like that, too, or get caught on the rocks and such. Um, But it, it... Essentially, in science, that's about the same number, especially, like, when... Accounting for the (coughs) equipment and such, too. Like, there's a standard deviation. Um, So that pretty much, uh, there's no loss of water below where the kettle is. So it's, it's, the water from the kettle is just rejoining the river underneath the kettle. So that mystery has been solved. Uh, well, the world is a less mysterious place now, I guess. I mean, okay. a little bit. I will say... Do they, still, uh, do they know how the kettle was formed? No idea. I mean, we have a lot... There are glacial kettles Yeah. You know, in Minnesota, so it could be... I mean, it is a... Those. That's a whole other topic yeah. for another show, I guess. I mean, if it... Well, you think about it, the waterfall itself, like, I'm sure it was just erosion. You have that much water, like, hitting one spot as it goes over... Like, eventually, it would still, it would eventually, like, erode it away over millions of years, you know? Yeah, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Um, The other thing I want to say about this is uh, they actually, even though they used the water testing equipment, they did have a thought um, that they wanted, they wanted to pour a vegetable-based dye into the pothole to see. That's what I was going to say. I was surprised they didn't. Uh, I know people have done that in other places. Right, and it was uh, fluorescent and biodegradable, visible at 10 parts per billion. Uh, They were about to do it when it was a little bit lower flow in the fall, and uh, the DNR said no, so they didn't get to do it. Oh, (laughs) 
Um, cause like you, I mean, there probably was a good reason, but it was more or less like you have the evidence you needed. You don't need to do this additional experiment. Meanwhile, the scientists and everybody else like, no, 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 let's, let's pour it. We want to see we this. That would be super cool. Yeah. We want to do it. We're going to double check it. We're going to have some dye and just see how it goes. Like, why not? Yeah, no, they, <laughs> it said no. Um, as far as like all of the different objects and things that have been thrown in devil's kettle, um, like the amount of force and everything that's in there, like um, it, it's, it can, the, the force of the water very easily for like ping pong balls and things like that and sticks, they're just gone. They, it, des- it destroys <laughs> the ping pong balls. It will destroy wow. sticks. It's not, it's not holding it underwater or anything like that. Those things, right, they're right. just gone. They're in itty little bits. Uh, Ooh, don't fall in. No, don't plastics. fall in. That would be bad. Oh, good. Lovely. Um, but that's what I have for you both today. The not-so-much-mystery of <laughs> Devil's Kettle. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.